everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Larmasa. Our guest today is Rohit Arora, CEO and co-founder of Biz2Credit, a New York-based company that offers financing, research, and educational resources to small businesses. Rohit and his brother founded Biz2Credit in 2008, and over the last 13 years, the firm has arranged over $2 billion in funding and registered over 200,000 clients. They have also raised over $60 million in equity and $300 million in debt from investors, including Westbridge Capital and Nexus Venture Partners. We discuss Rohit's journey scaling Biz2Credit, his fundraising challenges as a contrarian entrepreneur, lessons on resilience and leadership, the perils of a growth at any cost business mindset, Biz2Credit's experience navigating the COVID crisis and what he believes will be the long-term effects of the pandemic, and a whole lot more. And now join me in an interesting conversation with Rohit Arora. All right, Rohit, thank you for joining us on the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Very, very excited and, and glad that you're joining us. Maybe we can start by hearing a bit about yourself, uh, your background, and, and your story. Yeah, so thanks for the opportunity, Miguel and you know, we, me and my brother, we started uh, Best of Credit here in New York prior to the last financial crisis in early 2008. And uh, we had a mission to help uh, small and mid-sized businesses get a more democratized way of getting access to credit because they have been traditionally the biggest driver of growth in the country, in any country if you see, but they have also had the hardest time to get access to credit because traditionally banks have either focused on retail customers or they have focused on the corporate customers. You know, they have not really cracked the code on the SME lending side. So we thought in early 2008 that, you know, we could set up a digital platform. Now, this was pre-fintech days. There was no term as fintech. And then the idea was to, you know, set up a platform which could take data from different sources. And we figured out what are the big touch points for businesses. And there were five counting payroll payments, marketing and filing their taxes. And we said, what if we build a platform and we can get, you know, all these data pipes, you know, built directly into there. And, and this was like pre-API days. And, you know, so, so pretty early on, you know, we had got like an idea of, you know, doing something. And, and living in New York, you know, we also figured out there were a lot of minority-owned businesses, a lot of immigrant-owned businesses, and they had even much harder time to get access to credit. And this was prior to the credit crisis when the credit was very easily available. So even in that environment, getting credit for small businesses or small and mid-sized businesses was pretty challenging. So we started building out a platform on Best of Credit, you know, went to companies like Intuit, Paycheck, and then, you know, the crisis came in 2008, which was a brutal crisis. And uh, then we worked a lot with SBA and the Obama administration. We actually started focusing a lot on the government guarantee program in the interim. But we kept our focus on keep building our platform, our technology, and then iPhone, you know, came along in 2007, but it really started growing by 2009, 10 kind of time period. So then every business owner had a internet in their hands. And then we really started seeing, you know, more growth coming in for a digital platform like ours. And we formed partnerships at that point of time with companies, payment companies. But one challenge that we were facing still was that, you know, while we were getting very good at opening up the funnel and making it smoother and smoother, we didn't have control on the funding piece. We were still an aggregator. We were still, uh, so our business model was not to sell any leads. We were never uh, interested in that, but actually, you know, help the businesses go through the whole life cycle. 
and get them the right funding sources. So then in 2013, we decided to do something which was uh, radical, but at the same point of time, game changing. So we brought in the funding piece in-house, but without taking it on, on the balance sheet. So at that point of time, the lending club model had really taken off. And, you know, so we actually started replicating that model on the business lending side. And we got in hedge funds initially, then credit funds, then now banks. We have large asset managers on our platforms now. So the idea was to, you know, build a, a very smart digital platforms, which could originate, underwrite, fund service and could collect all the risk data also on the platform. So that was very helpful, you know, overall, because that also helped us to, and also forced us to up our game on the technology side, because then we had to build everything digital. We had to build everything, which was really good. And I think since our focus was a lot on risk management side, so we didn't try to compete uh, on the origination side. While while we kept growing our business, we didn't want to outbeat folks like Cabbage or OnDeck, which we could see were lending a lot of money, but they were not, in my view, doing it the right way. They were not paying a lot of attention to risk. And when times are good, then you know you can live with that. But when times get bad, now we saw in 2020 what really happened. You know, with all these what I call is the GMV kind of models, you know, what like, you know, these guys were really chasing. So I think uh, we kept building our business. And over the years, we have now facilitated lending over $3 billion. Our loss rates pre-COVID were the lowest in the industry, you know, ranging around three, three and a half percent. So that was done in a fully digital environment. And we were giving very consistent returns to all the investors who were on our platform high single digits to low double digits, which were like a very impressive return even during pre-COVID and now. And obviously, you know, you know, when the COVID hit, we were very well prepared because we have invested so much of money, time and effort in building the right, you know, life cycle management tools, the right risk management tools, the right collection tools. And, uh, you know, so we were able to, you know, and obviously we got hit like anybody else, but we were able to recover pretty quickly. We got a license from SBA to do direct PPP lending, uh, we facilitated uh, there also, we worked with our banks, and then we did part of lending ourselves and we facilitated uh, close to a billion dollar in lending on that side of our business. And that also helped us to, you know, digitize it faster. I think one good thing that we have been investing a lot of money on our technology side of our business and data science business over the years, and that was, has really starting to give us extremely good dividends now. Because as the markets are changing, everybody wants to go digital. And I think as, as PPP came along, you know, uh, we being digital really helped us to, you know, scale that business pretty quickly. And we recently got an SBA approval also to do a full-fledged integration into their systems for all their loan products, including 7A, 504, and also SBA endorsed us as of yesterday for our forgiveness platform. So that means that SBA is now uh, using in all the district offices and recommending to all the borrowers our free PPP forgiveness loan platform, which anybody can use on uh, pppforgivenesstool.com. Yeah, no, so much to unpack. And I, I want to spend uh, a good amount of time talking about your whole COVID response. But before yep. we go there, you know, you started as a, more as a marketplace, right? Um, yeah. But then you made the decision to bring credit in-house as well. You know, I imagine you obviously learned a lot of things from the previous crisis, right? But 
this is a very different one. And also, you know, once you transition to bring your own credit, you're kind of bringing also new people, right? So what's, what has been your approach to bring the right people to execute your models, your business model? Yeah, I think I think that's a very good question. So when we started the business, you know, me and my brother, we always had, you know, thought about the fact that, you know, when we, because, you know, a lot of companies, you know, I remember who were aggregators, either went out of business or they're still aggregators. You know, they didn't make that change. Some of them who started as a lender, they were one or two kind of lenders and they couldn't do much after that. So I think for us, it's a constant change is what we embrace. That also means that you have to bring people of different skill sets over time. So like when we had initially started, it was more of, you know, lead gen, front end of the funnel, you know, how do you you get the right customer base? How do you build partnerships for that? And then, you know, over time, we had to transition it to, you know, bringing in more people with underwriting background, risk management, but also understanding it ourselves. I think the key belief that we always had uh, was that, you know, as senior leadership in the company, and we are very clear about that even today, they have to roll up their sleeves. They cannot be the one who, who are just going to sit there and pontificate. I think a lot of companies make that mistake, especially startups. You know, they feel like, especially their founders make that mistake. Once they raise some VC money, they feel like, you know, now they have arrived and then they lose track of two things. You know, one is how to make your business eventually profitable from a unit economics perspective, that's very important. And how you scale up your business by being hands-on. You know, I think a lot of time the advice that a lot of entrepreneurs get from professional managers is that after a certain stage, if you're hands-on, people don't like it. Or, But in my view, the biggest success stories are the one, you know, who have scaled up their business by being hands-on. Like if you see Steve Jobs or you see Bill Gates or you see Jeff Bezos, you know, these are very hands-on people. They know what is happening in their companies. They're always there. So I think I think that was a big, I would say learning for us always has been that, you know, whenever we will expand our, you know, business capabilities, we'll do it by becoming even, you know, like learning the new parts of the business. So like we learned about underwriting, we learned about collections, we learned about you know, how the legal system in this country works. Uh, in 2019, we formed a new part of our business known as Biz2X, which actually offers now this whole platform end-to-end as a white-label solution to banks and other institutions. And we have banks like HSBC, Banco Popular, Citibank as our partners using those, those platforms. And that meant that, yeah, you know, in 2018, we started hiring a lot of data scientists. We started hiring a lot of engineers, you know, building it up and, and offering it. So I think it's a very important that as a company, you have to embrace constant change. You have to be ready for the change. You cannot let the change force you to change because then it's very painful. You know, you have to make the changes yourself. And I think as senior leadership, you know, you need to be keep learning new skills every day because nobody's going to come and give you that feedback, you know, like as founders, but, you know, you have to have that innate capability and innate hunger to you know keep changing and transforming yourself. And you mentioned fundraising. I can only imagine that you definitely got a lot of no's at the beginning and you had a lot of skeptics because at the end of the day, it's hard to be contrarian and you were targeting a market that was significantly underserved. How did you navigate the, the journey, the fundraising journey in particular? That's a very good question. I think the key thing in fundraising also is that, you know, what like funding institutions or uh, investors, whether they are VC, professional VC investors or they're angel investors, they look for you, what, what kind of passion you have for your idea and then what kind of grip you have on that, you know, so like passion is good, but, you know, execution skills also matter, you know, and then also how much resilience you have. Will you just fold up when the first crisis will hit you or will you keep moving on? 
And I think uh, 2008 clearly was a very critical period for us because when we started the company, me and my brother, we put a lot of our own life savings into the company and we just started the company. And being first generation immigrants into this country, it was not that hard a business. But I think our conviction that, yes, this is a good idea. This is a little ahead of its time, but it will go big and, and it's a global idea and, and it will succeed big time, you know, once you give it the right resources. And I think what most of the investors are looking for is that, you know, do you have a staying power? You know, more than the idea, the quality of the idea, quality of idea matters, but do you have staying power? And I think we showed that in the 2008 crisis. And that's why by 2010, so two years were, uh, or two and a half years were brutal and very tough for us. But like after that, when people figure out, uh, yeah, we are not giving up, we are not the guys who will just hold up or pack up when the crisis comes, then, you know, they had a lot more faith in us. And I think, after 2011, things started getting better for us and also better for the economy. And I think then we were at the right time, at the right place because, you know, we had we had a good lead time. We were able to... And I think what it also forced us initially was to build a business which was very unit economics, uh, you know, positive. So we had money, but it was all our own money. So we were very careful and we had the... And then once we showed that, yes, you can make it into a unit economics profitable business, then, you know, for scaling up, you can raise capital. I think a lot of founders also make that mistake where they make their mission to raise capital as the only thing in, you know, to do. And I think they forget to focus on product, the things that really matter. And I think, uh, and I've never seen a successful entrepreneur getting overnight success. Overnight success is a hard work of like five to 10 years, you know, at least. And they will still have setbacks, you know. Like all the time, the setbacks will come. I think that's very important for people who want to get into entrepreneurial journey and who want to get really, you know, the ability to build businesses. You know, you have to focus on building a long-term business. I think right now, what has happened with so much of VC money coming into this space, and you know, a lot of people think they can, you know, it's like flipping a house that what used to be prior to 2008. You can build something and flip it and make some money and go away. I think if your motivation is to make money when you start a business, I think then that's a wrong motivation. The motivation has to create value. The motivation has to create products or services which really solve a problem. I think money will come. And if you're not passionate about it, I think then when the next crisis will hit, you will see. And and we have seen with so many companies, you know, which have raised hundreds of millions of dollars or, or billions of dollars, even they pack up during a crisis, especially in our space that has happened. And I think the reason that has happened is because of the fact that there was, you know, lack of control and lack of conviction to stay through a crisis. Yeah, and, and it sounds like, being born almost during or shortly before the past crisis and having those tough years really made you into a stronger business, right? And with a, I guess, more focus on the numbers than others. Yeah. And I think, I think there are two things. You cannot get unnerved by a crisis and you cannot be like, you need to be impatient for change, but you cannot become so impatient that, you know, you want to just grow at any cost, you know, kind of stuff. I think growth at any cost mindset doesn't help any business. We haven't seen that. You know, in the short term, yes, we saw WeWork, we saw Uber, we saw you know, the other. But I think if you're looking to build a more long-term sustainable business, then, you know, growth at any cost is not the right mindset. Growth for itself is a good mindset, but not at any cost. And I think the second thing is that you need to be resilient enough that you will get hit by a lot of crises and a lot of challenges, but you just need to keep overcoming them every day. I think that's a great segue to talk about COVID because I know that's been front and center for you uh, and particularly for your clients. So take us back to March or late February. This hit everyone like a truck out of nowhere. How was your experience and 
how did you adapt to integrate your solutions with the government's, I guess, packages and the government's programs? I think that's a very good question. And my view on that is that while we were expecting some kind of a recession to come in, but obviously nobody expected that the recession will come like this, like a healthcare crisis, you know, that like nobody had expected. Because obviously we are like at the tail end of an economic, you know, cycle, which was already more than 10 years, you know, going on. So everybody was expecting a slowdown happening or some kind of a recession. So obviously, you know, that's what I used to say before a recession that, you know, no two recessions are, are same. You know, the cause is not same, but the effects are pretty much same. And I think this recession has been, in a sense, has been brutal for small businesses. I think we we have lived through the 2008 crisis. I don't think the 2008 crisis was anywhere near this crisis for the small businesses. Not even, I would say, the last was like Great Depression. Even like also small businesses still survived. So I think, in a sense, this is the perfect storm. This is like once in a hundred year event, like a black swan event, you know, actually out there. And I think this is very important and this is very interesting, you know, in March when started coming in, you know, on like March 2nd, I, I addressed my team in the company and I told them, I said, this crisis is going to be a lot bigger than what we think, a lot deeper. And we need to hunker down, prepare for it. And some people said, oh, you have been too pessimistic. And I said, no, I'm being realistic because, you know, the world has been underestimating this crisis and including me, you know, for all of January and February. And now, you know, things are will just slip so quickly because when crisis like this happens, Initially, it looks very like benign and then all of a sudden it just, you know, blows up. So I think that was an interesting phase. I think what the policymakers did right at that point of time and they're not doing right now is that I think they acted very quick. I think that was from the institutional memory they had in 2008 when they were late and they were behind the curve. So I think they did a good job because that helped everyone. You know, obviously we worked a lot with the SBA, US Treasury, you know, other folks. And initially, like they were hesitant to give PPP lending license to, to fintech players like us. And then they eventually agreed. And I think they were delayed, but you know that helped us a lot. But that also helped a lot of small businesses to get access to credit and who were denied money from their local banks or more or national banks. So I think uh, that was an important lesson for us also. And I think one of the things that we have been doing, part of that lesson is that when the last crisis hit us, we were in very active conversations with policymakers. And after that, you know, we actually, it just fell on a wayside because things returned back to normal. Everything was, you know, okay kind of stuff. But I think the key thing that we have now learned is that, you know, the interaction between, the collaboration between different players is very important. The interaction with policymakers is extremely important because they're also looking for guidance. They are also looking for solutions. You know, they don't have every answer. So we really upped our effort on that side. We have been now conversations with all the senators and congressmen who are dealing with small business committees or their approval processes in either U.S. Congress or in the Senate. You know, we have been talking to a lot of local officials. You, you know, we have formed a big coalition of partners, including payroll companies. We recently partnered with the AICPA to launch a whole forgiveness platform and then a loan platform for next round of PVP. So I think what we have learned and we have now implemented is that, you know, intervention of digital became very important. You know. So we really upped our investment into our digital platforms even further. We uh, we formed a coalition of billing. We actually, you know, have been doing a lot of work across the board with different companies. Also bringing in a lot of focus on underserved businesses. So last week we released a report on Latino businesses in this country and what the impact has been of the COVID crisis. 
you know, I wrote an op-ed for CNBC, you know, on that, and we got a great reception. And and I think the reason is because a lot of people are looking to see what the impact has been and what the solution would be. So I think uh, during a crisis time, you have to work harder. You have to be more visible. You have to take some, I would say, definitive position in the marketplace that, you know, where things are going to go and how they are going to go. Because a lot of people are looking for folks like us to lead or to take leading roles. And I think the key is that, you know, you need to be very calm and not get unnerved by this crisis. Because I think this crisis has multiple cycles. So we saw the first cycle and I think we are starting to see the second wave now. And I think the world economy will take at least two to three years before it recovers fully. And I think what this crisis has really also shown us is that, you know, we should be prepared for more crises like this, you know, because we'll have more events like this. I think going forward, we had a very benign last 40, 50, 60 years. But if you see the world history, world history has never been so benign than what, what it was after World War II. So I think I think we are entering a phase now where, you know, things will be more upheavals and then we need to be ready for that. On that front, you know, we spoke in the past about precisely this topic and how you were mentioning that every big pandemic has brought fundamental changes to work and human interaction, right? And how you actually, as you just mentioned, you envision that actual impact and changes won't be seen for years. As a company, how are you getting ready for that? And how do you think other companies, your clients, how should they get ready? I think the key is that that's a very good question because we have seen every crisis has brought a lot of changes, you know, overall. So I think uh, some changes will be positive, some will be negative, but it also throws more light on things which are causing some of these problems like social inequalities, uh, lack of access of credit for minority-owned businesses, the race riots which have happened here earlier is a manifestation of that also, you know, of the inequality and all that stuff. So I think on the positive side, what we see is that, you know, there's going to be a lot more digitization, a lot more democratization of access to credit, access to, you know, even opportunities, you know, in a way, because uh, now you don't have to have established relationships to get something done, you know, which I think is, is where a lot of, you know, underdogs or underserved people are not able to, you know, then get access to it. I think that's one. I think the second thing is that digital is also going to make uh, hopefully world a more efficient place, you know, so your cost of doing stuff is going to go down. That that clearly means that your productivity rates are going to go up. That clearly means that your overall net economic impact of that is going to be better. So in my view, you know, those are all the positives. Uh, I think the negatives is that if people meet less, then how will people react to it? Because human beings are social animals at the end of the day. So I think how are they going to react to it? You know, less travel, less mobile. I think what this is doing on the negative side is the mobility is going to decrease. The whole globalization, which was, I would say, a big positive trend for the world over the last 30 to 40 years, has was slowing down already and will slow down even further. Travel has become so much more t- tough already, you know, with all the, the restrictions and everything. So I think uh, that's where we have to see. And I think the other interesting thing to see is that we don't know what changes it will bring in politics, because that takes at least five to 10 years. Because even we saw after the last crisis, you know, Trump getting elected as U.S. president was a almost like a direct result of the 2008 crisis. But we felt that happening after eight years in Chile. I think that's a very important piece because can we learn things to make it a better society? Can we learn things to make it a better place? I, I think we have to play. Uh, we have to focus a lot on global warming, you know. And I think this is a good time because travel had increased so much. 
and you know with all the air travel and all that you know that was adding to a lot of global warming but then if you reduce all that stuff are you also reducing globalization are you reducing mobility you know among people so i think those are all the questions that i don't think so we'll have answers for another 5 to 7 years you know actually. but i think in the short term yes we can see digital adoption of technologies more democratization of things happening more i would say you know digital globalization happening now you know then like physical globalization and i think the biggest thing and the biggest change now is that i think hopefully after this we will see a world which is much humbler you know actually i think people were saying yeah, yeah they can take care of everything and i think this has clearly shown that there are crises which will be thrown up by the nature uh, you know which which are unpredictable and then human beings need to understand that you know how to tackle these unpredictable situations well at the same time all, all this change my in theory at least might bring about opportunities for disruption and innovation yep. do you think uh, it's going to be a, a good time for entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs absolutely i think any crisis is a very good time for entrepreneurs because that's when things get cleaned up the excesses go away you know that's where you know i would say there's a saying that when the going gets tough the tough get going you know so i think in my view entrepreneurs are the tough resilient people and i think there's no better time than today to you know if somebody wants to get into entrepreneurship to start a business get new ideas because we'll see a lot of clean up happening now a lot of new ways of business happening a lot of things which were done in normal processes like we are already seeing in financial services the whole digitization piece and everything which would have taken another eight to ten now happen in two years you know even the regulators are getting so interested to see that you know how fintechs like us play a bigger and bigger role in the overall ecosystem while even six months or eight months back they were like fintechs we don't trust them that kind of stuff so i think it's very important for all of us to figure that there's going to be immense amount of opportunity because if we see the spanish flu of 1918 you know actually led to the best growth rates in 1920 obviously it ended in a bigger and a bigger crisis after that but i think next 5 to 7 to 8 years were the best years for the world economy ever you know in terms of growth globalization i think we didn't address some of the other issues and that led to world war 2 and the depression and all that stuff also so i think it's a very good time for people who have the ability to take risks who have the ability to manage risk to actually take a plunge and start something on their own because in my view innovation because as a race human beings are very adaptive and you know it's the survival of the adaptest it's not the survival of the fittest so i think we are at that stage in in the world this is one in this is hopefully one in a 100 year event you know so i think for this generation we will not get an opportunity again in our lifetimes do something that really matters to the society and to the world and this is the time to actually take the opportunity and see what comes out of and speaking of the road ahead in the next 5 to 10 years how do you envision you know your company's future how does the the road ahead look like for biz to credit yeah so our basic premise was that you know small businesses are very important for the society for the country for generating employment for the social well being and i think this crisis has clearly shown that you know that hypothesis is extremely true i i don't think there has ever been a time in last you know, 12 or 15 years especially when we started the company 12 years back there has been such a huge focus on small businesses you know across the globe not just in us 
And I think that's a very important message that small businesses are going to play even a bigger and bigger role in the world economy going forward, you know, actually. And with digitization, they are going to get more opportunities, but there is also more things that need to be done. So what we feel is that, you know, we have short-term challenges, obviously, because, you know, small businesses have got massively impacted out there. But I think we have very good medium to long-term potential in increasing the access to credit, you know, better risk management, adding new products and services for businesses. Because now businesses were laggards in going digital and now they're going to go digital at a, at a very rapid pace. You know, because every small business has realized that without a digital component, even if you're a retail shop, you know, you will not survive anymore. I think in that sense, it's a very good time for us. We are seeing a lot of activity. We have never been busier than you know, last four months. You know, in a way, our customer, you know, acquisition, you know, channels have just going crazy. You know, our acquisition costs have gone down. We have a lot of very high quality businesses coming to us right now. And I think we have a lot of banks who are now partnering with us also because the idea always was that to, or, or to create an ecosystem where, you know, everybody can get benefited out of it. I think in that sense, we are in a very strong position. I think the other thing we're seeing is a lot more collaboration happening now than prior to the crisis. People are more open. They're taking decisions faster. And I foresee a very bright future for a company like this to credit because this is our second recession, which we have not only survived, but we are coming out touch wood, uh, very healthy, you know, out of the crisis. So we are very much ready to take advantage of the new opportunities being thrown up at us. And I think this could be a start of a very good bull run for us for the next five to seven years. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, Rohit, before we go, we always like to ask our guests to tell us a, a little bit about some of their hobbies and you know, maybe how, uh, how you spend some of your time outside of the office or, or Biz2 Credit. Biz2 Credit is like a 24 by 7 <laughs> you know, stuff for, uh, for me because obviously being a co-founder and this is something you know, that there's now so much of need also more than demand, I would say. So like, I think I feel very gratified that, you know, we are able to do something for the society. We are able to, you know, also help a lot of people, you know, actually. I think in that sense, it's like almost, you know, I don't feel like I'm working, you know. So obviously that is great. But I think from a hobby side, you know, I used to play cricket. Now I watch more, you know, no time to play, reading a lot. So I think those are the things that, you know, I do. But obviously or the demand of getting things done and even like you know, processing things faster and faster. I think it's just taking away a lot of that time. Away. You know, a long time ago, someone told me that leaders are readers and this podcast is definitely proving that. And we get a lot of founders who love to read. And no, I think reading is very important because it opens up your mind to a lot of new ideas and, you know, a lot of things that you haven't even thought about. And, you know, history teaches you a lot. I knew about Spanish flu a bit before the crisis, but, you know, I've like learned so much from that, you know, like just reading through books and even historical facts about it. I think that's important, you know, because reading opens up your mind. It really gives you that ability to think laterally and think, you know, and connect the dots. I think the best entrepreneurs are one who can connect the dots. Outstanding. Well, great note to end on. Thank you so much for stopping by, Rohit. We do appreciate it. Excited to see what's ahead and I'm, I'm sure we'll be uh, seeing a lot of great things to come out of this to credit and we're grateful that you stopped by and obviously I'm sure uh, either myself or future generations will love it if you could stop by Wharton on campus as well once things are back to normal. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. We also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor, Rafael Ostria. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. 